are in a series called uh, How to Survive the Zombie Apocalypse. And as I've mentioned in the weeks before, I don't actually believe in zombies. Um, but we talk a lot, especially now uh, in this day and age with the recession and gas prices and nuclear war and, and Putin and Ukraine and China and all this kind of stuff and asteroids. You know, now we got a, a, a telescope that can basically see everything. Well, apparently not everything, but it's just incredible, right? And so we talk about like, oh my goodness, we're progressing so fast. And you know, for, for someone like me, who's in the gifted generation, Gen X, uh, this has all happened very fast for us as well. And so uh, we're just kind of wondering. And so what ends up happening when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, people start talking about the Bible and Revelation and Daniel and all these things about the end times and who is Gog and who is Magog and who is the dragon and what is this and who are the, the, the witnesses and all those things. And all those things are very important. And uh, if you want to learn about those things from a professional, go ahead. I'm not so much interested in that as much as I am how to survive it. Uh, because in the Christian world, there's like pre-trib, which means we're going to get raptured before all the bad things happen. There's mid-trib, which means we're going to be raptured in the middle of all the bad things. And then there's post-trib, which I think are like for the hardcore. And that's like you go through all the stuff and then you get raptured, right? Okay. And does it matter? No, no, it doesn't. But I would rather be prepared for post-trib than think it's pre-trib and the rapture doesn't happen. Then I'm bummed. So my job is to prepare you for the end of the world. And this week, we are going to be talking about persecution. Persecution. And so what we've been talking about this entire series is all out of 1 Peter. And basically, 1 Peter starts with or makes this statement in chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. So you can imagine if you think in terms of like next week is really soon or next year is really soon, Peter said this 2,000 years ago and said the end of all things is near. And he explains himself in that with this end times math that says a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Basically what Peter's saying is, just be ready. Just be ready. Is that fair enough? If I don't tell you when Jesus is returning or how or who's who, if I just tell you, here's how we're going to survive. Last week, we talked about the way you survive through the end of the world is in community. Community is vitally important. It stands against our culture, which says you can do it on your own. You're the most important thing in the world. Whatever you think about you is true. You're the one. You're the king. You're the one in charge, right? That's foreign to the Bible. The Bible says we're going to do this in community. In the Old Testament, it was the people of Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church of Jesus Christ. And true biblical community happens when we get together centered around our, uh, our Savior, Jesus. And so he asked this question, since everything will be destroyed in this way, here's the question, what kind of people ought you to be? Okay, did I do this again? Good night. Um, sorry, I have to get rid of these and go to my presentations because I got the wrong one. I did this last time. There we go. Come to daddy. I love it. There we go. Okay, that was much faster than last time. If you want to see me super frazzled, go watch last week's sermon. All right. So this, this week we're going to be talking about persecution. And so here's what I want to start with. It's been a good run. 
It's been a good run, okay? <laughs> You're looking at me like, oh man, where is he going? The American church has had it pretty easy. Now you might look and say, oh John, you don't even know I was reading on the news. I read this and I read that and I watched this blog and I followed this guy and I followed this gal and I do this and I, hey, we have not had a good run. We've Listen, for all of human history and for any other country outside of America, it hasn't been that great to be a Christian. Okay, if you don't understand that, subscribe to a little newsletter called Voice of the Martyrs. And you can read story after story after story after story of people who are ostracized from their family. They've lost their job. They've lost uh, any place of power. They've been kicked out of community. They've been tortured. They've been beaten. They've been dismembered. They've been killed. Okay? So the American church has had it kind of easy. In my opinion. This is my opinion. Here's another thing of my opinion. And take my opinion. When I say my opinion, take it with a grain of salt. Because I thought COVID was going to last six weeks. And I thought, I thought that Apple should not be in the phone business. Okay? So I, those were two, like I had very strong opinions on both of those things. And they turned out to be horrible. So, one, I think, I think the American church has had it easy relative to human history and relative to the rest of the world. I hope that all makes sense. I'm not coming down on America. The other thing I believe is that those days are over or they will be over soon. I believe that uh, America as a Christian nation, and listen, I, I forgot to preface it with this. I'm going to be talking about America. I'm going to be talking about vaccines. I'll be talking about sexual ethic, all these different things. I am not making points. I'm just trying to tell you that we are in a new era now with the amount of wealth we have in America and the amount of power. This is so unprecedented in human history. The idea that we would be a Christian nation, and I'm still praying for that, is um, hard to, for me to believe. I believe that persecution will begin to increase. That is just my personal opinion, okay? I have scriptures for that, um, but that's my personal belief. And I also believe, as we'll see in the points I'm about to make through the book of 1 Peter, uh, that the people persecuting us are not going to be evil. They're going to think they're doing justice. They're going to think for whatever reason, and I'll show you a scripture verse that says just this. It was from the words of this famous guy, his name was Jesus, that said there's going to come a time when they put you to death that they think they're actually doing service to God, okay? So th this is all in the Bible. Persecution is expected in the Bible. The fact that we've gotten kind of away from it or we've dodged it for a couple hundred years in America, great, okay? But... It isn't going to last forever. We know this because we know that Revelation promises it. Revelation promises persecution. Now, before I get started into the Word of God, uh, for those of you who have been longtime Christians, I want to tell you what I'm about to do so you don't freak out. When I preach James, I don't do it in order, okay? I take James and I take all the topics. He, he talks about the tongue a lot, but it goes over like four different chapters. I take all that and I preach one sermon on that. He talks about wisdom. I take all those verses out of James and I, it's called the book of John. <laughs> it's not, but I do that. I take that liberty, okay? I'm doing the same with 1 Peter, okay? 
So you understand 1 Peter is written to a persecuted church. It's the whole point of 1 Peter. The whole point of 1 Peter is how to survive the zombie apocalypse, or in their case, how to survive Nero, because that is the historical context of 1 Peter. Okay, and we'll read a little bit about how they were martyred in this time. It was not, they were canceled off of Twitter. Okay, that wasn't it. It wasn't that they took prayer out of schools. While that's very important, I don't, like I said, don't write me any emails. I'm not making a point. I'm just saying that isn't really persecution compared to what they were talking about in 1 Peter. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Okay, I'm not trying to be a jerk. And so I take all these different verses that he keeps coming back to. And the reason he spreads them out over this book is that they're vitally important. But because we have Western minds and we think kind of linear in a straight line, okay? I, that's what I'm doing for us in our culture. That's kind of how we think and how we learn. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm going to give you six things to get you through persecution when it comes. I'm praying that it happens in 100 years and I'm already gone. But if it happens tomorrow, we're going to be ready. Here's the number one thing. Do not be surprised or afraid, and I would even add, or ashamed. Do not be surprised, afraid, or ashamed. It's coming, okay? And the people who will be against you or against Jesus or against the church or whatever, they're going to believe that this is the right thing to do. You should not be shocked. You should not go to your blog and go, this is an outrage. It's going to happen. The Bible has predicted it. The Bible doesn't care from the standpoint of like, it wants you to have this cush life your whole life and everyone agree with you. The Bible does not even know what that would look like. Well, it does. It's called heaven, okay? Where every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are all worshiping Jesus. That's an eternity. We're going to talk about that next week. Okay. Do not be surprised or afraid. 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, he's saying, like this is a pastor's heart saying to his people, to his sheep, do not be surprised that the, he uses this word fiery ordeal. So the way you'd visualize that, the Greek for this fiery ordeal is just what any um, uh, metal, someone working with silver or gold, they dip it into this fire and the impurities rise to the top. It's called the dross and they take it out. And what Peter's saying is, this is what's going to happen to you, church. This is where you are, church, that first Peter's writing to, that Peter's writing to. Don't, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Listen, which comes upon you for your testing, that, that's a hard word, isn't it? God would allow you to be persecuted, tested, tried by fire? Doesn't sound like a loving God. Unless he has an eternal perspective. Next week, okay. Which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing is happening to you. I, I, I read, I, mean, I don't mean to go off on it, but I read people on the internet, they they. Like something happened at work where somebody gave them some pressure about their faith. And it's like this long diatribe about how horrible it was. Like, oh man, honey, it's going to get way worse than that, right? Don't, don't be, don't be a, a shocked by that as some strange thing has happened to you. 
He says in 1 Peter 3, 14, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. We're going to talk about that in, I think, point three. Point one is just don't be surprised, afraid, or ashamed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, Peter's saying. Now, these people, you have to understand, this is during Nero. They were lighting Christians on fire. There was no petition to get Nero out of office. <laughs> that wasn't it, right? They were being tortured. They were being wrapped up in uh, the skins of other animals. Fox's Book of Martyrs says they would put them in these, these, these um, like, like caribou and these different types of animal skins, and then they put them in a room with dogs, and the dogs would just attack the Christians. And it was great sport. You know about gladiators and all the Colosseum things and all those things. Christians had no value, right? And this is who Peter's writing to. Hey, don't, don't, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing is happening to you. He goes on, don't fear their threats. He says this in 1 Peter. I told you we're going to be all over 1 Peter, but it's mostly 1 Peter, so we're good. If you have a problem, just read 1 Peter. It takes 20 minutes. Okay. You know you can do that. You can read the Bible on your own. Okay. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. In other words, if you're being persecuted, you're not being exalted. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Don't be surprised, afraid, ashamed. He has got you in the midst of your persecution. He goes on to kind of make sure that people understand. This is in 1 Peter 4, 15, 16, and 17. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Okay, right? Obviously. A thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. Twitter. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is... Time for judgment. Oh, man, I wish this wasn't in the Bible. For judgment to begin with the sinners. We got to judge those sinners, don't we? Oh, no. Peter made a big mistake and said, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. It's one of the ways our faith is tested. It's one of the ways we kind of get a grade, a, a report of our faith, a report card. How did you handle conflict? Oh, F. Okay, that's an indication. You might want to deepen your faith a little bit. That once it got hard, you were gone? Come on. It starts with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In other words, if we can't handle it, how, how is anyone else going to come to Christ if we quit so easily? Do not be surprised or afraid. Here's just some other things. Just This is uh, Paul writing to Timothy. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Period. Point blank. End of story. The Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you want to follow Jesus, at some point you will be persecuted. Man, it's quiet. You guys are really quiet. If you could see your own faces. Jesus says this, I've told you these things 
so that in me you might have peace. Oh, yeah, peace. That's what I want. In this world, you'll have trouble. Ah, wait, how do I have peace and in this world do I have trouble? Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not afraid and I'm not ashamed. Take heart. I've overcome the world. That was 2,000 years ago. We're still here, right? What, is, what do you think he means? The systems of the world. We can operate within the systems of the world in peace. So that's number one. Do not be surprised or afraid, or, and I added at the last minute, or ashamed. Number two, and I'll have these all listed at the end so you can take a picture if you want to take a picture. All right, rejoice in it. What? Rejoice in being persecuted? That's dumb. That is dumb, especially as an American. I pay my taxes. I don't pay taxes to get persecuted. I pay taxes to be served. And persecution isn't that they didn't fill up all my potholes on my street, which they haven't. But rejoice in it. Oh, man, I wish so bad I didn't have so many scriptures supporting this. But you cannot argue with me. You have to be rejoicing in persecution. It's a command, okay? And it helps to get through it as well. Listen to what he says, 1 Peter 4, 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Ah, that is so difficult. Sometimes don't you want to take your Bible and just a little bit rip some stuff out? I do. I'm a pastor. I get paid for this, I think. But for, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may what again? Rejoice with exaltation. This is what he says in 1 Peter. This, he begins the book with this, okay? Because he's talking about trials right off the bat. He starts off, it's like, hey, church, great to talk to you. Oh yeah, by the way, about all the trials you're going through. That's how the book of 1 Peter starts. He says this, in all this, all these issues, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he uses this word for a little while. But remember, it's end times economy, so it might be for your entire life. <laughs> little while could be your entire life. You're born into a family that's persecuted, and you live your whole life persecuted. And first Peter, or Peter, says to you, hey, rejoice in it. It's just, it's just for a little, little while. It's only 80 years. Okay? That's all it is. 1.92 hours of kingdom life. That's what it is. Okay? Rejoice. Here we go. First Peter 1.7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, remember, I mentioned it before, God uses persecution as an indicator light to your life. If you get a little bit persecuted, if someone pushes back on you just a little bit, if you're living your life and you're trying to be holy and you have to give up some friends, you have to give up a relationship, you have to cut your cable, you got to do whatever, and you're mocked or whatever, and how you handle that is an indicator light, if you've ever seen one on, on your car, of, hey, there's some issues here you got to work through, okay? 
prove ingenuous of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, okay, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Right? 1 Peter 1.8, he goes on. Though you have not seen him, right, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He is writing to a church where people were set on fire. They were handed over to animals. They were persecuted. About this time was when Rome burned. And Nero blamed the Christians, and it was open season. And Peter has the audacity, because he has a personal relationship with his Savior, Jesus Christ, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, which is empowering him to write this at this very time. That same Holy Spirit, that if you have invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you have access to. That same thing, that we should be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We should be, as followers of Jesus, the most joyful people in our family. The most joyful people at our work. The most joyful people on the freeway. <laughs> I'm still working, Lord. I'm still working on it. Okay? <laughs> Listen to this, uh, in Acts, the early church, they were persecuted. Oh boy, were they persecuted, right? It starts out in Acts, Stephen was, uh, was stoned, had rocks thrown at him until he died. His final thing was he looked up towards heaven, like, like it's almost like they're hitting him with rocks and he's just like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to be with Jesus. Here's what happens. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Now, these were people who were persecuting them that thought they were doing the right thing. And this will be the key as we're persecuted. The people persecuting Christians, it will be, they think they're doing the right thing. We're going to get this in just the next thing. Know your enemy, okay? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted, been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That name is Jesus. They rejoiced being beaten and flogged. The idea of personal rights and privileges and expectations, those are incompatible with the scriptures. Okay, so do not be shocked or afraid or ashamed and rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. We really can rejoice in it. Number three, know your enemy. Now you're going, oh, I do. I watch cable news. I know exactly who my enemy is. I know exactly their names. I know how much longer they have in terms. I know, I know everything. I know all their Twitter and blogs. I know what, you know, I know, I know my enemy, but I'm going to shock you. Your enemy is not any of those people. Your enemy is not even the person who's persecuting you. If you are at work and you are constantly being ridden because you're a Christian or you, you, know, you don't ride with whoever or whatever, that person that's doing that is not your enemy, okay? Peter says it this way, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? In other words, why, why would anyone do that? And you, it's a great question. You'd say to yourself, well, yeah, who would do that? Well, they don't see it that way, that you're eager to do good. They see it differently, Right? He goes on, 
but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's writing this in the context of persecution. And he's saying, even while you're being persecuted, understand, begin to think about how would you share the love of Jesus with this person? Always being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you to give you a reason for the hope that is within you. You view your enemy as a future convert to Jesus because of the way you're handling yourself. They're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. Whatever party you're against, they're not your enemy. Okay? They, they're coming from a different perspective of what justice is, of what love is, and all these different things. And it's flawed because we're, in, we're flawed human beings. And we're trying to take a humanistic institution, politics, government, all these things, and we're trying to do our best to make it acceptable for all. So the Republicans are not your enemy. Democrats are not your enemy. Watch what he says. He says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Just so you're clear, that doesn't mean publicly ashamed. <laughs> you don't have to publicly shame them. If you find yourself, this is just, I'm just talking to Christians now, myself as well. If I find myself happy that someone's publicly shamed, I am outside of the heart of my heavenly father. I'm outside. You say, but it feels so good. Lots of things do. <laughs> okay? So, who's our enemy then? But if it's, not the, if it's not the Republicans, if it's not the Democrats, who's the enemy? First Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. In other words, don't get all worked up in emotions and all these different things and these perspectives. Be on the alert. In other words, keep your eyes open. Don't get narrow-minded and focused in your tribe. Your adversary, the devil. You say, oh boy. I don't even, John, I don't even know if I believe in the devil. You should. I do. I believe in the devil. I believe the devil creates systems. I believe he's a liar. I believe that he can fool people into thinking they're doing just the right thing when it's actually the wrong thing. I believe that enemy prowls about like a roaring lion. Oh, I think it's in here. Yes, he prowls. I, that's why I believe it. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Look, Satan can't affect God, right? If, God, if, if, if Satan goes up face to face with God, but he can affect God's kids. And let me tell you, I joke about being an empty nester and being very, I mean, I'm very, very happy. But if you mess, like, let, let me tell you, I married like a literal angel. Like I married an angel. The person you see in Lisa is exactly who she is when she wakes up in the morning. Happy, smiley, caring for everybody. Mess with one of our kids and watch what happens. <laughs> Right? And you're the same way. Maybe you don't even have kids. You got a, you got a niece or a nephew or something. You mess with that. So this is what Satan does. He tries to get us off track. Tries to get us all worried. All upset about this or that. Tries to get us persecuted. So we'll drop the faith in order to get to God. He prowls about like a roaring lion. But resist him. 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering, and especially in America, even worse experiences of sufferings, are being accomplished. In other words, they're doing it other places, you guys. They're making it. Even under intense persecution, there are Christians who are under the most amazing atrocities you can imagine, and they're winning. They're doing it. This is what Peter's saying. They're being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This is what, what I was talking about earlier in John chapter 16. This guy named Jesus says this, they will put you out of the synagogue. These are religious people. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They're finally getting rid of those pesky, hate-filled whatever. You say, be on the alert. The enemy's doing this all over. He's so crafty, you guys. He's so crafty. People are not your enemy. People are broken. They need Jesus. And they need us to be the best models that we possibly can be, even in persecution. So don't be afraid. Rejoice in it. Know your enemy. And then receive the blessing. You're like, hmm, the blessing? None of this sounds like a blessing. Oh, man, it's so much through Scripture. It's not even, you don't have a leg to stand on. 1 Peter 4.14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Period. That's, that's it. Peter's, he doesn't say unless or just in case or whatever or there's a caveat. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Which would you rather have? Matthew 5.11 says it this way. Blessed are you when people insult you. I wonder when Jesus did this on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know. It's just amazing. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. I was trying to figure out, should I put this in the rejoice or should I put it in the blessing? I don't know. It could be in either one. Again, they're all mixed up. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And you say, oh man, I want it to be now. Well, We'll talk about that next week. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's, I don't have enough time this morning, and there's too many verses. You can look them up yourself. When you are persecuted, you receive a blessing. Sometimes that blessing is perspective, right? If you're being persecuted, are you thinking about that new pair of shoes? Are you thinking about this? Are you it brings everything down to brass tacks, does it not? That's a blessing. That's a blessing to have an eternal perspective. All right. Number four or five or whatever it is. Do not retaliate. Oh, that's terrible. Do not retaliate. Don't be scared, right? Rejoice in it, okay? Receive the blessing. Know your enemy, but don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke. But to those who are listening, and I love Jesus saying that, to those, just like Pastor Michelle did, to those who are listening, I say, love your enemies. 
because they're not really your enemies. You have an enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion trying to manipulate systems and manipulate people to get you to be discouraged in your faith, to get you to reject your heavenly father. But for the people, you love those people. And you do good to those who hate you. See, Jesus, one of the annoying things about Jesus is he's not interested in your head. He's in your heart and your hands. Those are the two things. He wants to get into your heart, and then he wants you to be his hands and feet. So notice what he says. Love your enemies. Okay, that's a head. I can understand that. Do good, hands, to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. There's no way around it, you guys. It's Jesus. We can't retaliate. Here's what he says. He goes on because this needs to be driven home because it's not human nature. Human nature is someone hurts you, you hurt them. Okay? If someone slaps you on one cheek, back roundhouse to the jaw. No, don't do that. Turn to them the other cheek. Now, that doesn't mean be a doormat or be an abusive relationship. Obviously, we know all that. But what Jesus is trying to get across is when someone thinks they got you and they humiliate you, this was a, in this culture, uh, this, to be slapped in the face was incredibly humiliating. So it might be something you're in, a, you're in a board meeting, you're in a staff meeting or a meeting with group people, and somebody mocks you or shames you in front of everyone, that would be the slap in the cheek. And you just let it go. Turn to them, the other also. If someone takes your coat, it's unfair. They take something that should be right, that's rightfully yours. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's acknowledgement for what you did and somebody else got the credit. When someone takes that from you, don't withhold your shirt from them as well. Hey, great job. All right. Give to everyone who asks of you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it. And this next verse is in the context of persecution. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is in the context of persecution. This isn't just a general statement Jesus is saying. He's saying you love your enemies. You pray for those who, who persecute you. You give them your coat. You give them your cheek if they slap you. You give them your shirt. You do whatever you need to do. Whatever you would have them do to you, you do to them. And that's one of the keys. And then finally, keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. So we talked about not being fearful. Okay, we don't want to be fearful or shocked when persecution happens. It's going to happen. It's been promised in the Bible. Okay, we talked about rejoicing in it. Okay, that we can actually rejoice in, in persecution. It's possible. We've seen people do it. The early church did it. They made it. That's why we're here today. Because they did this. In human history, every time there's persecution, every single time I have a thing in my office, a timeline that rolls from here to there, and you can watch the church hit persecution and grow, persecution and grow. It's almost like a formula, okay? And so he says, keep, keep the end in mind. We can do it. He says in 1 Peter 1.9, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of 
of your souls. That is the most amazing gift we have, that our very souls are redeemed and forgiven by what Christ did on the cross. We're going to talk about this a lot next week. That's why I put a little next week in there because there wasn't enough time to go over all this. He says in 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator who, uh, uh, in doing what is right. You're, you're actually, when, when you're persecuted wrongly or you're misunderstood or you're ridiculed or whatever, you say, almost like Jesus did, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? Father, what? Forgive them, Why? Yes, they don't know what they're doing. Are they the enemy? No. And then he says, in this awesome thing, like he's at the total end of persecution. Like there was no one more wrongly accused, wrongly punished. And he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. This keeping the end in mind. Here's what he says. 510, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then here's what he says to keep the end in mind. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. As uh, Tanner comes back up with the group, I wanted to read this. Um, this is from Fox's Book of Martyrs. He says, this, is the first, this was the occasion of the first persecution. Okay, this is, he's writing a historical account of what it was like during Nero's time. Okay? Uh, and the uh, barbarities exercised on the Christians were such as even excited the commiseration of the Romans themselves. In other words, there was so much persecution, even the Romans were like, hey man... Can we just go a little easier on the Christians? Like, I don't agree with them. I don't think what they're doing is the best thing. I, obviously, we're not going to follow Jesus. We're following Caesar. But man, do you got to do that to them? This is what uh, Fox is saying. Uh, Nero even refined upon cruelty and contrived all matter of punishments for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular... He had some sewed up in skins of wild beasts and then worried by dogs. Okay, this is written old school. So worry doesn't mean the dogs w had anxiety, okay? It means they were being eaten, okay, and bothered. And others dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, fixed to axle trees, and set on fire in his gardens in order to illuminate them. This persecution was general throughout the whole Roman Empire. But it rather increased than diminished the spirit of Christianity. You guys, you guys, they made it. They did it. We can do it. We can do it. In the course of it, St. Paul and St. Peter were martyred. A person whose letter we just got done dissecting. So I wrote these down and... Uh, what we're going to do, if you want to take a picture of that, it's just six. You could have had eight, maybe ten things to keep in mind. But as we go back to our jobs and we go back to school and we go back to our families and events and things like that, 
My hope and my prayer is that we'd keep these in mind. We can handle it. You can handle it. You have Jesus. <laughs> your souls are entrusted to your heavenly Father. The Bible says it this way. If God is for us, who? Nobody. Nope. Amen. If you're not standing and you want to stand for the blessing, we close up. And now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go in his courage, in his strength, and in his boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.